Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey, well, welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. I'm Bo. I'm Peter. And we are with Running Light Ministries, which is a really cool ministry. It's a blast. <laughs> we get to talk about the Bible and, and sex and um, all kinds of cool stuff and how it relates. Today we're going to be talking about uh, holiness. Can you achieve kind of perfect holiness and what that really means? Mm. Um, kind of the thought comes like this a lot of times where people go, you know what, I'm kind of disgusted with this idea of stumbling and and things like that. Like, you know, the the Bible says, you know, flee these things, get rid of these things. So obviously if it gives us a command to do something, shouldn't we have the ability to do it? Mm. And so we want to talk a little bit through that um, today because there's different ways we can go with this, two different probably extremes. And uh, we want to kind of break that down for you guys too to see how um, we can interpret the Bible in a proper way. Um, So misinterpreting the Bible can really especially when you're dealing with sexual stuff, it can get you into some trouble. And uh, we we find this a lot where a lot of people come to us and they're really depressed and they're bummed and they're kind of down and out. And um, and they're just like, ah, you know, pulling their hair out, huh? Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and it's always scary too. On the flip side, say we're working with a guy who struggles with pornography and um and has caved into pornography for years and years and years and things like that and say we're we're now working with a wife and it's a very scary thing to say to the wife hey you know your husband could be struggling with lustful inclinations for the rest of his life like you know how are you with that that can be one of those <laughs> questions that you're like kind of like they're like uh i don't know if i'm really open to that yeah um, and what does that mean and exactly? Hmm. Um, um, you know, for sure. So, um, and you know, and it can, you know, you kind of not just use adults with that, but you know, how do you, what do you teach a kid too? Like when a kid is like yourself, you know, you were a teenager and, you know, watching porn and, um, you know, what if someone said, Hey, you know, this is what the word says, bro, <laughs> you know, and if they kind of interpreted it a certain way that that said, you know, Peter, you can and you should be without that issue. Right. You know, um, and if you got that issue, that means you're not trying hard enough yeah. or you're not doing this enough or you're not doing that enough. And um, then what it was the effects of that on you? Yeah. So. I mean, if you have a simplistic view of how sin works and how uh, righteousness or holiness works in your life, um, at best, you'll probably just be really fake. So I, I found that in my own heart, I, I uh, at times I would harden it so much uh, to the idea of conviction that I convinced myself that I was kind of free uh, of particular issues. So I, you know, like, for instance, in the area of... Uh, of anger or selfishness or pride or, you know, other areas like that. Since I knew that I shouldn't be struggling with stuff like that, I actually convinced myself that I wasn't. And so that means that I had to come up with kind of like a justification whenever I fell. So like if I got angry at my parents and I yelled at them instead of being like, man, like that was, that was bad. Like I shouldn't have done that. Instead I would be like, well, you know, they were, they kind of started it and you know they're my parents they should have done better you know and I'll, I'll blame them to make myself feel like I don't really have a struggle but with the area of sexual lust that was an area where I just I could never really convince myself I didn't have an issue because I kept viewing porn um, and that like really kind of messes with you at a deep and foundational level because like you said Bo like if I if I believe I ought to be able to do something and I'm not doing it then it could it could raise all sorts of weird questions in my head like am i not trying hard enough am i saved like do i really have the power of god on my side is god for me uh because god doesn't fail and if i'm failing 
it doesn't mean that God failed me. I must mean I'm failing and God's not allowing me to succeed. It, and that's, that's kind of a scary thought. God, when you say God's not allowing me to succeed. Right. Right. It's a terrifying thought. You know, I never really thought out that implication before, but yeah, I mean, if God is, God is against my purity, then I really don't have a shot, you know? And, uh, so when I would battle against my sin and I would fail, I, a lot of times I would actually blame God and be like, you know, like, why aren't you allowing me to succeed at this? You know, you have the power to, to deliver me. Like I, uh, you know, because I would hear all these sermons about how God would deliver you. God would deliver you. God would deliver you. And I wasn't being delivered. So it, it must be God's fault. Uh, that he's not. And uh, it was funny that, that we're talking about this. I was I was listening to a sermon on my way into work. And you know how these things go. You know, <laughs> like, so I'm listening oh, yeah. to a sermon. And, and uh, the, the pastor was talking about, like, success in the, in the Christian life. And uh, the first part I was, like, totally on board with because he did kind of have the perspective that we're talking about right now that, you know, like, things are tough. And he was going through the area of David's life where David uh, ends up going into the Philistine camp and just going into villages and raiding them and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And, and I liked it because I don't usually hear, hear pastors talk about that area of David's life. But he was talking about it. He's like, man, you know, David really blew it here. and he, For like a yeah. year and three months. It was like, something. yeah, it was a long time where he was like a pirate. You yeah. know? He was like going into, into people's stands working for the Philistines. And, and there was even a time there where he was like ready to go to war with Israel. You know, it was, it was radical. It was, a, it was a huge time of backsliding for him. But... Um, you know, I was listening to it and I was on board, I was on board. And then, and then at, as he was wrapping up the sermon, I saw where he was going at the end. I was like, oh no, uh, because he got the idea that the reason why David did this is because he forgot God. And if he would have remembered God, he would have never struggled. You if know, he would have remembered like the promise of God. Right, right. So his, his perspective was the reason why David failed was because he didn't remember God and he wasn't doing the right thing. And if he would have continued to do the right thing, he would have never failed, you know. And uh, he didn't say it exactly like that, but it's definitely the message that I was getting from it, you know, yeah. from what he was saying. That when you when you struggle or when you fail, yeah, you you don't remember God, right? That you're just not you're you're not talking. To, you must not be talking to God. You must not be seeking God. And like I heard messages like that as a teenager, and I was like, you know, I I was totally baffled because. You know, I would go to church on Sunday, come home, pray, and then I would view porn <laughs> like like 20 minutes later, you know, like I'd be praying and then I would be like going on, clicking on stuff and I would be thinking of God, you know, I'd be like, man, like this is wrong. And I'd be, I'd be clicking on stuff. And then after I was done doing, it, I was like, gosh, I suck, you know, and I was thinking about God again. So, you know, the idea that I wasn't like God wasn't involved in my life at that moment was untrue you know god was involved in my life when i was viewing porn um i i was trying to seek god i just wasn't i was failing like i was still failing and i had but because of sermons like that i had this idea that if i'm really seeking god i won't fail so if i'm failing i must not be seeking god or i must not be seeking him hard enough and it's like you know what does that really mean you know, you're not seeking God enough. You know, does that mean like, is there a certain hour amount? Like if you read the Bible two hours a day, you know, you won't fall. But if you only read the Bible for five minutes a day, you'll, you'll probably bail. You know, like I, you get into weird I ideas like that, you know, of like, am I tithing enough? Am I going to church enough? Am I sharing my faith enough? Am I, and you're doing like this little checklist of like, if I do these things enough, um, I won't fail. Uh, another passage that was like twisted for me that led into this was First uh, Corinthians ten, verse thirteen, which uh, by the way I never heard the first part of that passage uh, exegeted for me in church, which is a bummer because the first part of the passage says um, no temptation has overtaken you except uh, that which is common to man. Uh, I never heard any pastor like talk about that of like dude every struggle you have is common right everybody struggles right? I never heard any pastor talk about that but the second pa part of the passage I heard talked about a lot which is for when you are tempted, uh, God will make a way of escape for you that you may be able to bear it. You know, so I, I heard I heard that part of the passage exegeted for me. So I thought the idea of like, OK, so with every temptation, God has built a way that I will not fall if I just follow the right path. So if I'm failing, that means I must not be taking the path of God. Like God has given me a way where I should never fail. 
And if I'm failing, like I'm not doing the right thing. So, um, you know, passages like that and teachings like that really mess with me yeah. uh, as a young man. For and sure. that's why interpretation of the scriptures is is vital. And, and it kind of it gets into this technicality kind of issue of like if the Bible's, you know, there, you know, like to answer the 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 Corinthians 10 kind of passage thing, it's like, yes. If you if you did exactly what God says to do every time, that's correct. You yeah. would not fail. If you found the way of escape every time, that's right. You would not fail ever yeah. in your life. So when you're tempted to be prideful, you would find the way of escape. You wouldn't be prideful. You you know you ha- were tempted in anger. You wouldn't get angry. Instead, you'd walk in humility. You know, all all these things you would you would crucify the flesh every time, and you would be able to die at that moment and live in Christ at that moment, where uh, there would be a surrender, uh, a sweet surrender at every moment, mm-hmm. and we would walk as Christ. And some people see that as attainable. Right. And that that is the real. So when they read passages, and if we just look, I was looking at Ephesians, some of the main kind of passages in there, um, where it kind of, you know, in in Ephesians 5, 1, it says, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and has given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you that is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks." For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon those of disobedience, the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Um... And then it talks a little more, finding out, verse 10, what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So when you read a passage like that, you know, let there not be a hint. And there's even, I think, ministries that kind of have that as their title, let there not be a hint. And then someone if someone interprets that, that, okay, you know, we can live to that standard, you know, first of all, does God give us the ability to live up to that standard? Yes and no. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would say that <coughs> God is giving us the tools necessary that will one day perfect us. But um, where we're at right now uh, because of the level of sin that we're in and because of the level of the fallenness that we're in, um, no, we don't have the ability to live perfectly as Christ did. Like, if we ask a question, are there commands in the Bible that we cannot uh, do? Does God give commands that we cannot do? And, yeah, so it's funny, you know, because when we talk like that as Christians, I I think we're, we're kind of missing the point where... You know, for Paul and for, you know, I'm going to use mainly Paul, you know, since we're reading his letter right now, reading his letter to the Ephesians. Um, When you look at Paul's writings, he has this concept and ideology that um, there's this there's this war. And I I like the way that Paul talks about it, specifically when you go through the books of Romans and Galatians. I think Galatians has the clearest uh, picture of this dichotomy. Um, and even in Ephesians, he's just talked about it, this idea that there is a new man and an old man, right, alive in you, that there's, a, there's an old fleshly nature in you. That's growing corrupt according to its deceitful lust. <laughs> That's it right. In Ephesians 4. That's right. That's right. And then there's a new nature created in, uh, created in the image of God 
that desires holiness, right? So there's this there's this war inside of us that's going on. And so for Paul, like if you read through his letters and you read through his understanding of what this looks like, the clearest way that he describes it uh, is in the book of Romans. Romans like goes through it in great detail. If you read any everywhere from Romans 4 to Romans 8, you get like a huge crash course on like what this idea of warring in the flesh looks like. But when Paul is talking about this new nature and he's talking about these tools and he's talking about let there not be a hint and let not any of these things happen to you, what he's saying is he's saying that there is a there's something that God has done to you. There's something that God has placed in you that enables you to walk in holiness. But because we're still on this fallen planet, because we're still on a fallen on our fallen flesh, we still have the old nature warring inside of us. And there's as this war is going on inside of us, God's what the trajectory for a Christian is supposed to be. We're going to be getting better and better the closer we get to Christ. But none of us are at a place where our fleshly nature has been put to death enough that we will perfectly do that. Um, even Paul in Romans 7 talks about this war in great detail in Romans 7, where he says, man, the things that I want to do, these I do not do. The things I don't want to do, this is what I find I practice, right? So if, if Paul in Ephesians 5 is saying that there is a way um, that there could be not a hint of covetousness in us, um, well, then he fails his own rule because in Romans 7, he specifically talks about the sin of covetousness being alive and well in his soul and warring against what he wants to do, and he talks about failing to it. Uh, he talks about failing to it over and over again. But the beauty is, and the promise that he was trying to give the Ephesians, the Romans, and everyone else, is that, number one, there is a, there is a finished work that we have confidence in. Meaning that if you feel or sense this war in you, that means that God has given you a new nature. Because without the new nature, there's no warfare. Um, if there's no new nature in me, then the only nature that exists in me is my sinful nature. And if th that's the only nature that exists in me, then my sinful nature will have nothing to war against. And I'll do what I want to do all the time, uh, which is going to be practicing the things that are you know, sinful. Uh, the only time that warfare exists in the Christian life is if the new nature exists. So Paul's promise to us in these passages is if you feel this warfare, that's good. Because it yeah. means that God is putting to death your old nature. Now, I, I want to I I show people how... Um, things can get really complicated and, and really confusing uh, with this. Um, when I look at my, my Bible, I have a, a study Bible that I'm using right now for all you out there. And, and it says this, if you are involved in sexual impurity, and this is the, this is the notes for what we just read in Ephesians. Right. If you are involved in sexual impurity, according to the scriptures, you have no place or inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Whoa. Right? That's hardcore. So, so that's, that's what the notes say. If you, if, you, if you are involved in sexual impurity... According to the scriptures, you have no place or inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And the answer to that is yes and no. Yes and no, because we have a big problem if we just look at this. And, and we if we took this statement that's in the Bible study, and it doesn't really say much else in here other than that, um, if we if we say that then we got to look at the people in the bible and we got to say who's not in the kingdom right 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 and we we're going to notice that most everybody's out of the kingdom right so abraham's out of the kingdom you know uh, jacob's out of the kingdom judah's out of the kingdom um uh we don't know if moses was a polygamist or not he could have been yeah um he certainly was blowing in Egypt, though. <laughs> <laughs> that he we could be certain of. Certainly yeah. was a sexually immoral guy <laughs> in Egypt. Yeah. Um, so, um, but uh, you know, we can go down the list, you know, and and we're gonna f see some major issues with that statement, right? Of like, and and so people that are in the kingdom, and we know they are because of the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven 
tells us that they are in the kingdom, these people, that they did not have this purity that uh, we we are talking about here, this right. kind of level of sexual integrity right. and purity. Um, so when it says if you were involved in sexual purity according to the scriptures, the answer is yeah. If you're involved in sexual impurity, you have broken the law of God. You have broken the holiness of God and the command of, you know, just the command of God. And does God give us commands that we cannot achieve? My first answer is yes. And And my first answer would be the Ten Commandments. Right. The Ten Commandments are laws that are given by God, but are unattainable um, in the fall, fall with fallen man. Right. Now, in the New Testament, there there's prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the New Covenant, and along with the New Covenant, the amazing work that would that would be ushered in by the in the book of Isaiah, it's called the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is going to do something radical. And uh, this arm of the Lord, well, we end up finding out in Isaiah that the arm of the Lord is actually God. Right. And he's actually an extension of God, hence called the arm of God. And he is going to actually walk the earth and deal with people right. and deal with the nation of Israel. But we get from Ezekiel that this new covenant would be one where God would write these laws on the hearts and there would be a burden in the heart of this new group of people to to honor God and to walk in his ways and it wouldn't be something where there would be like an outward commandment that we're we're looking at but there would be an inner conviction right um, through this work of the Holy Spirit that now would be involved in this ushering work of the arm of the Lord. And so we have that, um, uh, you know, in this New Testament world, or what we some people call dispensation or just time that we live in today. Um, So is there, you know, so so is it true that, that all who practice sexual immorality are not in the kingdom of God? Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. All of us aren't in the kingdom of God, uh, um, if that is the standard. So, if you are involved in sexual impurity, according to the scriptures, you have no place or inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Yep, I would say, sure, that's me. Yeah. You know? Um, But, when someone reads this, Hmm. I I think, like, a lot of people would read this and go, like if they're in the church, they're going to read this and they're going to go, oh my gosh. Hmm. And they either have to make a decision at this point whether I am going to face my lustful inclinations head on and be honest about it and say, hmm, there's a part of me that really likes this. Yeah. And I feel a pull towards it. And, and then you got to kind of go where the chips may fall, you know, in the, in the church culture. Right. You know, and they might fall really hard, you know, because you might say, man, I, I have homosexual tendencies. And people are going to be like, what? You know, and they get all crazy, yeah. you know. Um, or you might, you might say, hey, I have homosexual tendencies. And they'll be like, oh, that, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Could be like that, too. Right. Or you have to make a decision where you go, I'm not going to roll the dice and and say I do have an issue or I do struggle or have tendencies or whatever you want to call it. Um, because maybe, maybe that has the ramifications of maybe I'm not in the kingdom too and I don't want to even go that route with my mind to think that. So instead I'm, I'm just going to say ignore it Mm. and i'm just going to continue to attend church and and kind of play like oh like i am i'm good Mm. i'm doing good because no one else you know in the church is talking about this either so they they pro i'm assuming that they 
they don't have any issue with sexual immorality. And so, you know, it's probably best I just, you know, it's too hard to roll the dice and, and to come out and talk about it. So I'm just going to hold it in and just keep doing my, my thing. Mm. All the while, inside, you're really being eaten up. And, and you're really going through a lot of that guilt and inner shame uh, and even theological quandary of going, maybe I'm not even a believer. Right. You know, so it leads to m massive depression. Yeah. Um, Which is, uh, by the way, the exact opposite point that Paul's trying to make with passages like this. You know, um, unfortunately, when we read Ephesians 5, we got to remember that four chapters came prior. And uh, if you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, it is so bent on helping you understand that you are saved by faith, right? That it's nothing you can do. He spends three chapters in some of the most beautiful ways exegeting the idea that Christians are made right with God by faith, not by works, right? Nothing that you can do uh, can make you right with God. And uh, in Ephesians 3, one of my favorite passages, he says, therefore, in Ephesians 3, verse 17, he prays for the Ephesian church, and he says, therefore, since we are uh, since we are saved, you know, therefore being rooted and grounded in the love of God, uh, let us comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of God that passes understanding, uh, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So everything that Paul is saying in the first three chapters is you're not good enough, right? You're not good enough to be with God. That's the whole point. Jesus didn't come to save people who were good enough. Jesus came to save people who weren't good enough. That's why he had to die for you. Uh, you're not an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven uh, through your actions and through your works. That's the truth. You know, your actions have separated you from God. And if you really read through Ephesians 5, you know, he doesn't just mention sexual morality. He mentions a lot of sins. He mentions idolatry. He mentions, right? He mentions other stuff going on there. And uh, for all of us, it's like, can we really honestly look ourselves in the mirror and say, I love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. Nothing ever comes before God. Um, I have never struggled with greed. I never put myself before God. I never put my wife before God. I never put my kids before God. I never put, right. If you can honestly say that, then you are on the level of Jesus. You really are. Um, you are perfect. But for all of the rest of us, we would look at that passage and say, yeah, you're right. I'm not an inheritor of the kingdom of God because I don't do that. But what's the point? The point is that Paul's trying to drive home is that you're not, but through faith you are, right? By your works you're not, but by faith you are. And because you have this faith, you have adopted and inherited a new nature. So again, this passage is not meant to show people that you're not saved. You're struggling, you're not saved. The passage is meant to show you that you are saved and you need to fight your sin and there's hope for you to have eventual victory over it, but that won't happen until you're face to face with God. You will have victory as you fight, but you won't have complete victory until you go home to be with the Lord. But the completed victory is already done. Um, I love the way that Martin Luther puts it when people ask him, you know, when someone is saved, are they a sinner or a saint? And his answer is both. And I love the way he puts it. He says, it's just like if someone was sick with a, with a terminal illness and the doctor administers to them the cure, right? Now, what would the doctor, if you ask the doctor, are they sick or are they cured? He would say, well, they're both, right? They still have the symptoms of a sick man, but they have the cure in them and eventually they will be well, right? And that's essentially what Jesus has done. We're sick, right? We're sick with sin. And Jesus has administered to us the cure, and that cure will see you into heavenly glory, right? It will. There is absolute confidence for the Christian that if I have the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of my salvation, uh, language that Paul uses in many of his letters, right? I have the Holy Spirit that's the guarantee of my salvation. That means that I could fight my sin knowing that this war will eventually be over, right? Christ will be victorious in my life eventually. And so I'm able to fight it with confidence, right? I'm able to fight my sin with confidence, but I don't fight it foolishly thinking that every time I stand up to my sin, I'm going to win, right? I'm going to win because God is in me. Uh, well, God is in you. 
Uh, but he's also working out uh, a far greater plan of salvation than you could ever imagine, right? So for me, I was so narrow. I was I was all narrowed in on this idea of porn. And I was like, I got to get free from porn. I got to get free from porn. But God's looking at the big picture. And he's like, yeah, you got to get free from porn. But you also have strong issues with pride and self-reliance. And so he started working on that area with me where he's showing me that like, yeah, porn's bad, but it's a symptom of a much worse problem that we also need to work through. And so God started working with me on that, and he's still working with me on that. Uh, and that is what this, this whole idea of sanctification, holiness, is all about, that God is working out a holiness in my heart and in my life, but it will not be complete until the day I see Christ in heaven. So absolutely, when God gives us a commandment, he gives us the power to fulfill it, but that doesn't mean he gives us the power to fulfill it every single time right now, uh, right? It, it, it's something that we work through. It's something that we fight, and it's something that we go over. Uh, Ephesians 6, most people know what Ephesians 6 is. It's about the armor of God, right? Putting on the full armor of God. Uh, you know, as someone who's in the military, I'll tell you guys, you don't put on armor in a place where you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to have warfare. Uh, armor is uncomfortable, and it's really heavy, and it's really, really, uh, it's, just, it's just bad, right? It's not fun to wear armor. But when you're in conflict, when you're in warfare, it's good to have armor on, right? It's really, really good to have it. When Paul is encouraging the Christians in Ephesians 6 to put on armor, if he's saying like, hey, if you're saved, don't, don't even worry about it, right? You have the tools to succeed, don't even worry about it. Um, then armor is useless, right? Paul should have just said, hey, you're saved, don't worry about it. And if that was the case too, Paul, you know, Paul would just simply say, hey, if you're, if you're not doing these things, then obviously you're not in the kingdom. Right. You know, he wouldn't he wouldn't even go into these ideas of armor of God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he would just be like, hey, either you're in or you're out. Either you're doing it or you're not. Right. You know, either you're sanctified or you're not sanctified. Right. You know, uh, Hebrews tells us something cool in Hebrews ten fourteen. For by one offering, Jesus, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Mm -hmm. Get the idea of that being sanctified. These this step, this progressiveness of the sanctification uh, time. Anyway, it's not just a complete sanctification. Right. Um, there is that process of it, but it's all made possible through the perfected work of Jesus Christ. Right. Now, now to me, like a lot of people tend to read the Bible and they tend to read these sections and interpretation is everything. Again, this one commentator says, if you're involved in sexual, sexual impurity, according to the scriptures, you have no place or inheritance in the word of God. You know, to me, like, uh, the way we interpret this is going to be impor important. And this has helped me out a lot. I believe from my study of the Scripture that the Holy Spirit is the writer of the Scriptures. Hmm. And I, I get that from a passage in the book of Peter. And I get that from also the words of Jesus Christ and the apostles that when they are quoting passages, they say they usually refer to the spirit being the one who's doing the speaking. Jesus, if you want to see this, go to the book of Revelation and read his letters to the churches. Right. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So it's, it's the spirit that is the one who's kind of dictating the words here. Um, Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word made known. He is deity made known. And then his spirit is the um, kind of this, this, uh, this work of, of making the Word uh, uh, known to people, making Jesus known to people, which makes sense. No one can come to the Father unless he's drawn. You right. know, the Spirit of God has to be there, you know. So the drawing work draws them to the understanding of Christ. Um, so if I'm, uh, if I'm understanding the Bible that the Holy Spirit is the one who's dictating, then it makes sense that the Holy Spirit would say things that are, in a sense, unattainable to me. Because This is why. It's because it's the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, we're talking about God, and we're talking about God, and it's just saying that. Yeah. We're talking about God. Is that that blows my brain? Yeah. God, to think that I could be like God. 
in in every aspect of life wow like when someone says there is movements out there in christianity that teaches that you can you can be perfect you can be humanly perfect right you know through the work of christ and I don't know if we have to lower God <laughs> to like our level to be able to think that way. Because when I say we're talking about God, meaning when I'm looking at the Bible and it says, therefore, be imitators of God, that is that the reason why it says that is because it's God dictating the word. Right. It's the Holy Spirit dictating the word. And I can't think that God would compromise his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness in dictating the word of God. Hence, you would not read in the Bible like, um, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, um, but you could do it a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Or thou shalt not lie, but it's okay if you lie a little. Right. Or, you know, you don't see any of that kind of compromise. Right. So there is, so when, when someone says, hey, no compromise in your life, yeah, that's right. God is not, there is no compromise with God. But with us human beings, if I interpret the scripture as, no, this is Paul writing this. Yeah. If I, if I tend to look at it like Paul's writing this and not the Holy Spirit, then I tend to think, oh, Paul's, Paul's did, Paul lives this way. Right. Oh, Paul's the perfect imitator of God. Right. Oh, Paul doesn't have any fornication, any uncleanness, any covetousness, any idolatry, any filthiness, any foolish talking, any coarse jesting, none of it. He he is he. Oh, Paul Paul does all this. This yeah. is from Paul. Yeah. This is from a human. Do you see how the interpretation would be different? Like, yeah. it would make me think if if Paul wrote it, it would make me think, oh, a human can do this. Right. Paul do it. Does it? Right. And uh, by the way, for those of you guys who are out there, there was a church <laughs> um, in the in the early church that did think that it was possible to become humanly perfect. Uh, Jesus doesn't have the nicest words to say to them, but <laughs> they, they existed. Yeah, let me read you guys the passage. It's in Revelation, speaking of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So that's that's what Jesus says about this church. I don't want you. Like, I'm vomiting you out of my mouth uh, because of your lukewarmness. Well, what caused their lukewarmness? Verse 17. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and get this, have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Okay, so what made them lukewarm? What he says, he says, they, they were saying this. They said, I am rich, and I have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. And we know that this is this probably could refer a little bit to physical wealth. It might. But when Jesus says, come buy gold refined in the fire and buy garments from me, these are specific salvation terminologies, right? We get the garment idea from Isaiah. Uh, Behold, all your good deeds are as filthy rags before me. We get it from Zechariah 3, where Zechariah is standing before God and he is pictured in filthy rags and garments. And God gives him clean garments to cover his unrighteousness. Uh, We get this from Revelation 19, where the saints are seen in clean garments, right? Uh, The idea of garments is the idea of righteousness. They believed, they really believed that they were awesome. They thought they were perfect. And Jesus is really, really upset with them. And, And notice what his rebuke to them is. He says, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see, right? You, you, you're not seeing things correctly if you think you're perfect. You have need of me. You, ha- you are really wretched, naked, blind, poor, right? You, you need me and you think that you don't need me. And that's your sin. So for all of us who think that it's possible to obtain a perfection on this earth, you're making the same exact mistake as the Laodiceans. And I made it too. I had this idea that I was pretty much right on, right? I was like, I grew up in the church. My dad's awesome. My mom's awesome. Obviously, I got to be awesome. 
Um, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't do this. I don't do that. And I just made a list of all the things that I don't do. And I was like, I'm pretty much good. I'm pretty much set. And uh, what, what this passage is saying to me is, no, I wasn't, right? I was really naked, poor, destitute, and blind, but I saw myself as being holy, and that's actually what kept me from God, right? It's actually what kept me from God. There's a man in the Bible as well that saw this too, right? He comes to Jesus in the Gospel of Mark and, and Matthew. He does this. He comes to Jesus as the rich young ruler, and he says, uh, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments, right? And he lists off a couple of them. And the guy says, I have done all these things since my youth. I've done all these things since my youth. And Jesus says, right on, okay? Sell all your money, you'll have treasure in heaven, come and follow me, okay? So this guy was absolutely convinced that he was perfect, that he looked at the commandments, he's like, God told me thou shalt not, and I didn't, right? I kept them, I did it perfectly. And Jesus says, oh yeah? How about the first one? You shall have nothing before. I'm the Lord your God. I've delivered you from Egypt. You will have no other gods before me. Have you done that one? And Jesus gives him a test. He says, okay, if God is really your number one, that means that the treasures in heaven are so supreme to you that you'll give up all your treasures on earth just for God, just because he said so. Will you do it? And the guy walks away because he realizes that he had an idol, right? He leaves Jesus. For a lot of us, we need that kind of a, a kick in the pants, if you were. We need, we need someone to show us that you're, you're not as right on as you think you are. The purpose of the law is not to point out the fact that we're right on. The purpose of the law is to point us to our need for Christ. That's the whole point. Uh, the Christian who is walking at the law should see himself more and more a sinner the closer he gets to God. If you, you see yourself as less and less a sinner, the closer you are uh, going, the further you're going in your Christian walk, you're going the wrong way, right? You're going the and wrong that, way. And, and that, that kind of flies in the face of a lot of stuff right. because we always, what we hear is that what you're saying, Peter, is the more we grow in our walk with Jesus Christ, the more we, we, we see our sin greater. Yeah. And the more we see our, the the more we are sinners, Mm. um, the more we realize that. And what you're saying is yes, but yet that's not what's conveyed um, in in church culture very well. Right. What's conveyed more in church culture is that the more you grow in Christ, the more greater um, you feel, the more better the more, you know, this, the more that, uh, you know, everything like that, you know, it kind of, everything's together. Everything's going to go well. Um, you know, you have more of that kind of idea. Mm. So it seems so contrary to one another. (laughs) That's right. I I like that this one pastor pointed this out to me and I thought it was such a good point, uh, where if you look through the writings of Paul, he seems to think that he's way worse at the end of his ministry than he is at the beginning. At the beginning of his ministry, you read like some of his first letters. Some of his first letters were like 1 Corinthians, right? Those were some of the first letters he ever wrote, uh, the letters to the Corinthian church. And in the letter of 1 Corinthians, he calls himself in 1 Corinthians 15, he calls himself the least of the apostles, right? Which is pretty humble. But if you think about the apostles were like the top dudes in the entire church. So Paul's like, yeah, I'm like the lowest of the best, right? I'm like, you know, I'm like a, I'm like an A minus, you know, I'm not that, I'm not the, I'm not the greatest, but I'm still pretty high up there, you know? But then you go a little bit further in his, in his uh, books and you get to the book of Ephesians, which is the one we're reading right now. Mm -hmm. And that was written a little later. And he says, I am the least of the saints. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, that's a little more humble. He's saying of all the Christians on earth, I'm the lowest of them. And you're like, that's, that is pretty humble. But then you get to one of the last books he wrote, the, the last three books he wrote were 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Um, and 1st Timothy, he says in 1st Timothy thir- uh, 1.13, I'm uh, sorry, yeah, 15. Yeah, he says, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ came for sinners, of whom I am the worst, right? So he went from least of the apostles to least of the saints to the worst sinner on the planet, you know? And so there's, there's only really a couple ways you could look at that. It's either... Paul, in his sanctification with God, was doing really bad, you know, and like when he first got saved, he was awesome, and he just really blew it, and at the end of his ministry, he was like the worst sinner ever, or you could see that when Paul's perspective of God and God's holiness grew, Paul's depravity became more clear, so yes, Paul was becoming more holy the closer he got to God, but his 
understanding of what real holiness was was growing as a result. And when you understand how far you are from God, man, you're going to understand how depraved you really are. You know, I, it reminds me of the Greeks. You know, the Greeks wrote the, the tale of, of Icarus and Daedalus who, you know, they made wings of feathers and wax and they try to fly away. And, and the father says to Icarus, don't fly too close to the sun, man, because right. it's going to melt your wings and you're going to go down. And, uh, you know, ancient civilizations used to believe like the sun looks kind of close, right? And they're like, you could get, you could reach the sun. You know, that was like that story really meant. It's like you could reach the sun if he flew too high. The heat of the sun would get more and more intense the closer you got to it, and it would melt and you would you would die. But then, contrary to what we would think, the closer you get to the sun, the colder it gets. Because the closer you get to the sun, you realize just how far the sun is away. And you realize that, man, we're millions of miles away from that thing. This is when you look up with the naked eye, it looks close because of how massive it is. Right? The same thing is true for the Christian with God. When you first become saved, you look at the glory of God, and you're like, God must be so close. I must be so near to him because you because you feel the warmth of his glory. You feel the greatness of his love and you feel the beauty of his ministry. And you're like, man, I must be so near to God. But then as a Christian, the closer you get to God, the more you realize, man, I'm nowhere near it. And I am so far. I'm so distant. Right. And you see this throughout the Bible. What does Isaiah say when he sees the glory of God up close? Oh, wretched man that I am. Right. I am. Uh, I have a man of unclean lips. I'm from a people of unclean lips. Like I'm, I'm toast. Right? Ezekiel falls on his face. Daniel falls on his face. John falls on his face. Right? Whenever someone gets close to God, they don't think they're awesome. Right? They see how depraved they are. And these are like the best dudes in the Bible that are seeing this. Right? So how much more for those of us who are, who are not, you know, <laughs> like, uh, who are definitely not in that realm for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an important issue because these things you know, can wreck people's lives. You know, the the misunderstanding of the scriptures has tore apart people in in the inside. Many people go to church all with such failure. Hmm. Um and and really with no hope. They constantly think like there's no way I could ever be like that person. Um you know, and 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 God somehow has has me just at a different um, place, you know, and and will be forever. And I am the asterisk. I am I am the oddity, and which is so sad because you read the Bible, and you read of people that have amazing struggles mm. and inner turmoil, and. You know, to me, it's always been a lovely thing that the more I've drawn closer to Jesus and beholding Christ, the more I find a desire in me to continue to want to be more like Christ. The more I look at him, the more I want to be like him and emulate him. And and it's and, and through that, things have changed in my life. Uh through that wanting to become like Christ, my heart towards certain idle things in my life change. My relationship with those things change, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, those type of things. Uh, my relationship to those things change because of this new relationship I have with Jesus and this growing one. Mm. But within the, within the uh, idols that get tore down, becomes a deeper realization of the deeper idols that are in the fallen nature as well. So when when I find I don't desire drugs anymore, I I I rejoice in that knowing that even a deeper battle now uh, uh, is going to be assumed. Hmm. Um one that is in this heart that is far greater than just the outward picking up of a of a pipe and smoking you know dope or doing a line of cocaine Hmm. um and and those things are harder to root out so there's always a a a a grace with the consolation like there's a consolation of christ there's a comforting of christ that takes place but the comforting of christ is always with a realizing that there's another temptation that's just right around the corner 
another battle that's right around the corner and and one that I will will have success in at times and other and where I won't have such success in at times um, and all the while continuing to behold Christ and and learn to adore him more um, and trusting that through that fixing my eyes on Christ there is uh, going to be a, a new relationship with pride and a new relationship with envy and a new relationship with lust and a new relationship with those inner things that that happen hmm. in the heart. Um, so so it, it's it's how we look at the scripture, what lens we look, how we're interpreting these things really matter. Hmm. Um, I think too many people in the church have have read passages like this and it, it, they just have thrown up their hands and went like no way and um and and that bums me out and it burdens me to think that 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 happens um and uh, we're in a ministry where people come and talk to us all the time about intimate things and so we're always seeing their defeats and where they're at emotionally and so beat up and me and you both come come to them wanting to help them understand God's grace. And the biggest challenge that any of them face is that they'll never be able to move forward if they really believe God is against them. Mm. And, and some of them do. Some of them believe that God is against them. Um, that they, because what they have done sexually they are not loved by God and that somehow God is against them mm. and and those things are that's just a uh, you know wow Th that's a heavy thing to think about um, and it's no wonder that when you look at the religious depression that's in in the body of Christ um, we have to ask that question that hard question of why you know, why are people so defeated? Hmm. You know, why are they not experiencing a joy? And if the answer comes, well, it's because of their sin. Man, we put them, it seems like we're putting them right back. Hmm. You know, it, we're, 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 we're doing something that's just, uh, that has created the issue. Right. You know. Right. So some things to think about for sure, right? Yeah. Thanks for all your words, Peter, man. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks, man. A lot of stuff to think through too as well. So we always at Running Light hope that people um, can find help, find people that they can talk to um, about kind of their intimate lives and uh, experiences. These things are important. Intimacy is a big part of our lives, all of our lives. We all experience it in some way or another, whether physically or in our minds. <laughs> And we need people to chat with about it. It's uh, important. The Bible talks a lot about it. So uh, thanks for checking us out. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. Oh,